Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. On our program is Jill Conrath. Jill is a sales strategist and speaker whose clients include IBM, GE, and Hilton. Her first book, Selling to Big Companies, was praised by Fortune magazine as a must-read for sellers. She writes a popular blog and newsletter that offers fresh perspectives and practical strategies at sellingtobigcompanies.com. Jill, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. On this program, Jill, we're discussing your book, Snap Selling, Speed Up Sales and Win More Business with Today's Frazzled Customers. Well, I have to tell you this, Jill. If titles sold books this would be probably one of the best titles. But I know you weren't just sitting around, you know, nothing to do, and decided to write another book. So what was the genesis behind Snap Selling? Well, Jim, I write books to solve problems that I'm facing in sales because I'm still actively involved in sales. And what I had been discovering is that it was getting harder and harder to work with my corporate clients. So I actually stepped back and said, what in the world is going on here? I've never seen my prospects and customers behave so odd like they are right now. And, and, I, and I studied it. I just said, what is going on? And I studied and discovered that what was really happening was, you know, partly related to the, the recession at the time, too, is that everybody was downsizing. People that were in the corporations were overworked, overwhelmed, had way too much to do, didn't know how to handle anything, and they were just trying to stay alive, <laughs> I guess is the best word I could say. They were trying to stay above the frame, so if it wasn't mission critical, they would disappear. So I had to figure out what could I do and how could I help other people learn to change their sales approaches so that we could deal with this phenomena that we were facing right now of the frazzled, crazy, busy person that's our prospect. Is snap selling a sales process? Is it a set of techniques, or is it a paradigm shift in what you should be doing today, or all of the above? Oh, I've never been asked that question. Um, is it a process? In a sense, it's a process because I do break the sales process down into three decisions, but I don't do it from a salesperson's perspective, like we talk about. We're prospecting, we're qualifying, we're closing, you know, that kind of thing. I break the, the process down into the customer's decision process because I think that's imperative for us to understand. It's not about we want to follow our process. It's we need to fit where they're at. And the first process that I talk about, the first decision that the customer actually makes is the decision to allow us access. And that's the decision we have to deal with at first because, 95 or more percent of the calls or emails that come into these people are deleted in a nanosecond. So our first skill that we have to focus on is, is how do we get through and capture the attention of these people so they're willing to engage with us. So their first decision is, you know, to allow us access to them. The second decision they make, which is by far and away the hardest decision for them, is the decision to change. And the reason it's hard is for multiple reasons, but when you're 
crazy busy, the last thing you want to do is change anything in your work environment. You don't want to have to add the extra load of checking out options. You don't want to have to analyze the ROI of making a change. You don't want to have to have all these people with all their opinions that disagree on everything. And I mean, you don't want to add that to your workload. So in a crazy busy world, the decision makers will stay with things as long as humanly possible unless somebody does something to get them to see why making a change is necessary. So that second decision is about making a change. And our whole, we have a lot to do as sellers around what we need to do in order to help them realize the value of going through all that to make the change. And then the final decision that they make is a decision on which vendor they're going to choose. And that's oftentimes the easiest decision for them because, I mean, it may take months depending on what you're selling, but they, they set out their criteria and they work with us and they make many of us dance at that time. The reality of it is we have a different sales job when they're deciding between vendors as opposed to deciding to change. And so what I've tried to do at SNAP is show the three different main things that people have to do in order to work with their customers where their customers are actually at today. SNAP is actually an acronym for what? Well, it's an acronym for the the four factors that I discovered that customers were using in evaluating salespeople today. It's like they have these factors swirling around in their head at all times, and they're using them in every single interaction with a salesperson. And I'll just go through them quickly, and we can talk about them more. But the S is for simple. If something's not simple, they can't handle it. And so they're evaluating us on, on our approaches, our presentations, on our phone calls. Is it simple? The second thing they're asking is, do you sound like an invaluable resource? And I cheated a little with the N for SNAP and made it a little tiny I and a capital N, invaluable. They're listening to see if you sound personally like an invaluable resource, like bringing you in would be worth their time. If you sound like everybody else is calling them, they don't want to talk with you. They just, I mean, if they're, even if they're interested, they'd rather go online and check out your website because you sound boring, like you're going to be a brochure who comes in talking. The third thing they're interested in, this is the A in SNAP, is alignment. Are you aligned with their business strategies, with what they're trying to accomplish in the upcoming months? Because if you aren't aligned, they don't have time for you. They've got too much else to do. So they're quickly making judgments in terms of if what you're talking to them about will help them achieve what they're trying to uh, achieve. And the final letter in SNAP is, is the P, and that's priorities. So not only do you have to be aligned, but you're better off to be aligned with the key priority that is on their plate right now because when somebody is overwhelmed, they only focus on what needs their attention right now. And so if you're not in that priority area, they don't they don't look your direction. They, they're just really trying to keep things flowing. So I try to help work with salespeople in terms of things they can do to pass what I call the snap test, that quick reaction that a prospect might have in terms of are you simple, do you sound invaluable, are you aligned with what I'm trying to achieve, and is this a priority that I'm working on? And that's really where the book is focused on, all things people can do at all phases of the customer's decision process to be more relevant and worth meeting, I guess, and worth working with and worth changing for. So what you're really saying is, if I can summarize that, is SNAP is really the underlying strategy that you would need in supporting people in those three decisions that they're trying to make, as you said. That's exactly it. Cause in, yes, because in each decision, I show SNAP strategies to increase your relevance, alignment, 
in valuableness, in simplicity. Yes, that's the strategy. And it's been my experience. I don't know if you've had the same experience. That's typically not how salespeople think or get in alignment. In terms oh, my of- goodness. <laughs> it's typically not how they think. That's a very good way of saying it. Okay. The truth of the matter is most people have this belief about what it is to be in sales, and they see themselves as being the the communicator of the company product and service, and that their job is to be out there and update and educate the person on, here's everything our company can do. And that is so flawed right now, and we'll get salespeople in such deep tapioca, as we say here in Minnesota, that, that they can't get out of it. They can't get business. And if they are using the standard approach that people have been teaching for years, it is a disaster formula. I believe that recipe for disaster has been brewing for the last several years. Yes. The recession just kind of amplified it in terms of making it bring it to the forefront. Absolutely. Uh, so what you're saying is you, you no longer can be the walking brochure for oh your company. Goodness. No, I mean, only if you want to be deleted and, and irrelevant and not invited in. I mean, if you think that that's your job as a salesperson today, you are... Uh, you're going to have to be working harder and harder and harder with diminishing returns because service knowledge, product knowledge, is simply no longer sufficient. Well, Joe, most people get into sales leadership roles by coming up through sales, right? That's right. right. And so what worked on the street for them 20 years ago, they still believe it works today. Yeah. So how do you deal with the leadership that may be out of tune with what you're saying? I can tell you how I deal with them when I talk with these people because not all of them are convinced that they need to make some changes. I simply say to them, let's talk about your own behavior as a potential buyer. You're, you get hit up on by salespeople all the time, right? And they go, you know, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I get all these calls and emails all the time from salespeople. I say, where is your finger when you're listening to your messages and reading your emails? And they laugh, and I say, it's on the delete key, isn't it? And they, they, then they agree with me. And I say, well, tell me, how long does it take you before you delete somebody? And what makes you delete somebody? And then we talk about that. And it's, a, it's phenomenal what they learn by observing their own behavior. Because the reality is they're behaving like every other crazy, busy prospect out there right now. And they're deleting human beings as fast as they can. And research shows, by the way, and I bring this up with the people I talk with, is that the average via email, which a lot of people are doing, you know, for prospecting right now, it takes somebody an average of 2.7 seconds to make a decision if they're going to continue listening to you, delete you, or forward to somebody else. 2.7 seconds. That's how fast these snap decisions are being made. There must be something going on in sales that experts are coming forward and saying, hey, the shift really needs to be down to that individual and what that individual is going through and how that individual processes information. I absolutely think so. And I think for years the sales process has been, here's what we're going to do for you as salespeople and, you know, very, very much focus on go out and get them and call them and sell them and pitch them and all that kind of stuff. I think one of the real things that's happened in the last few years with the rise of technology in every area of our business, we are no longer necessary to do our old job. If a person wants to learn about what we do, they can find more information online with less interference and no chit-chat. And so they don't need us anymore. And so the reality of it is we have to figure out what we can do to provide value. 
and it's really all about the customer. It always has been about the customer, but before there weren't so many blockages with email and voicemail and you know barriers around the decision maker, nor was there so much information. Top salespeople have always been doing what I'm saying, but in today's business environment, it's even more important. I mean, you can't survive making more calls anymore. More bad calls getting you nowhere is is um, sure death in this profession. Either a salesperson has to change, sales leadership has to change and stop going after the we're trying to call everybody and get on the phones and pound out the calls. I mean, there is some quantity that's needed, but the reality is if you're making bad calls, you're making bad calls. If you're making irrelevant calls, they're irrelevant. And unless you change what you're saying and what you're doing in your interactions with your customers, it's all about them. They don't need us. Let's switch gears. Yeah. 2003 to 2007 was the last growth period in the economy, okay? There's mm-hmm. that time period that some people got involved in sales or involved in sales. We remember that as being part of the good old days. Then there's the reality of today, okay? So that, how are companies different today versus <laughs> back then? Leaner, meaner. Meaner, meaner, meaner. They're not, I mean, even though there's been some economic recovery right now, they're still not hiring. So individuals in organizations are expected to do more today than they were five years ago. It's been a huge change, and, and you can see it in every organization you work with. That Everyone really just has way too much to do. The net effect of that, having too much to do. The net effect what? of that is they keep, from a salesperson's perspective, they keep us all out because we are interruptions. They, they prefer to learn about business issues, challenges, and how to deal with these things by going online. It's just taken over. They research their issues online. They find forums where people like them congregate. They Google everything. The reality is most of them today, before they, in the past, they might call in a sales organization or a company and say, you know, we're thinking about doing this. What what can you have? Today, when they call people in, their research is showing about 60% down the curve in terms of having done the research. They've found out that much in the interim before they even called you. And in fact, they evaluate the salespeople based on how they respond to to their educated questions. And if a salesperson will move into a pitch, you know, oh, let me tell you about our stuff. They're actually evaluating that pitch based on what they've heard about other companies and what you know the shortfalls, et cetera, are. So they they have no they don't have a lot of tolerance for that. They're calling and they'd really rather work with somebody and say, okay, you've done this research. Let me ask you a few questions. Have you considered this? And, the, and a salesperson again who can add value. How are you going to make this decision? Have you got everybody involved? Usually when we work with companies, these people have to be involved. Have you been talking to them about what their criteria are? And they want somebody who is almost like a project manager with them and helping them think about what they have to do to make a decision because they don't make these decisions often. And so they're a little bit put off by making the entire decision. And so a salesperson that can provide leadership and guidance in terms of the next steps will be of high value to them as well. You talk in your book about creating value. Yes. And at the same time, the challenge seems to be that everybody talks about value, but nobody can describe it. It appears that we only know value in its absence. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> we know when something's a waste of time, yes. Or it could be someone's going to switch vendors because right. they perceive someone else is more valuable, and then when they don't get 
the same level of service or product, they go, oh, well, I guess the other person was valuable because now I, I, I'm missing what they were bringing to the table. So I, I'm curious. That, that appears to be just kind of human nature. So how can a salesperson bring value to a customer? I think value is brought in many, many different ways. And what a lot of salespeople don't realize is that the value isn't necessarily about stuff that their company does only. It's about their own ability to be a great resource for their customers. I'll give you an example, and it's one I I do share in the book. Printing is a pretty commodity-driven business these days, right? I mean, you can go from one printer to the next and not see a whole lot of difference. Yeah, that whole industry is struggling. Very much struggling. Well, one person who I feature in the book is, is a guy named Bill, and Bill sold printing and was really struggling and after two years just about dead on the wheel. And he, and he read my book and realized that he was approaching it all wrong. So rather than going after selling printing and trying to steal business away from other people, he walked around the print, printing plant one day and, and discovered that they did a lot of business with restaurants. So Bill decided to become a restaurant expert in menus. Now, what he did then is he started studying menus from every restaurant he went to. I mean, he actually went out and went to restaurants just to gather their menus. He read about menus. He went online and started reading about restaurant chains. He started noticing when they were having pricing increases or where they were announcing some new changes in decor. And every time he noticed something that was going on in the marketplace, he would sit down and think for a while and say, how can I help this restaurant chain drive more sales through their menus and increase their revenue per serving and questions that VPs of marketing asked. He actually, within just a several-month period, became a very strong expert in menus. And rather than, like every other sales rep, going to the printing person to fight for the menu business, he ended up talking to the VP of marketing and saying, I know that this is a key initiative that you're doing. I've got some ideas. I'd like to send you some samples. Can we set up some time to talk about it? And he got business through the VP of marketing because he brought ideas to the table. I mean, that kind of thing changes the game. The salesperson himself has to be an idea person, constantly thinking about how to leverage their products or services to help their customer achieve the end result. Because our products and services are exchangeable, but we're not as human beings. Let's pretend that I become an expert in something. Yes. And just because I have data, it doesn't make it information. And just because information doesn't make it relevant... (laughs) <laughs> right. Yes. So let's connect the dots between the information I have and making it relevant to either my customer or my prospective customer. How does a salesperson translate that? There's so many things you can do. For example, so you read something that you think is valuable, maybe about some trends in the industry that should things continue to go this way, would certainly create a need for your product and service. I mean, a salesperson, if they think about their job is to educate a prospect and to inform them about what's going on, rather than writing an email or calling up somebody, let's stick with email in this case, but rather than writing an email and saying, hi, Bob, this is Jill Conrath. I'm the account executive at XYZ Company. We specialize in offering a whole bunch of garbage that you probably aren't interested in, and let me give you a laundry list of everything we can do for your company. Rather than doing that, 
a salesperson could, from the, from the outside, say, Hi, Bob, I know that as a VP of sales, one of your key challenges this year is new client acquisition. I've been reading a lot about it, and we do work with clients. But here's a link to an article I think you might find help for your salespeople in terms of what they can do to get more business this coming year. Let's set up a time to talk if it gives you some ideas. But it's about changing things in terms of here's some ideas. You know, here's something you might want to look at. Here's how another company did this. And constantly bringing that information to a person in a way that doesn't dump a whole lot on them. And by the way, the ass in SNAP is simple. You can't give everything at once. You have to have a lot of little touches with a little bit of information in or else you overwhelm people. And crazy busy people, when they're overwhelmed, delete. It appears that before this almost generic shotgun approach is not going to work and so the individual is going to have to understand how the individual brings value to customer. Yes. All right. So big picture then, aren't you really talking about upgrading our sales forces? Oh, my God, significantly. Significantly. The sales skills that are required today are fundamentally different. Let me just – I don't know if you're familiar with the, the research that was recently done by the conference executive, corporate executive board – where they surveyed a whole bunch of salespeople, and they discovered there were five basic types of salespeople. There was the lone wolf who was out there doing his or her thing. There's the hard worker. There's the nice person. There's the challenger and the problem solver. Their research is showing that today's customers really don't want anything to do with somebody who's just focused on the relationship. You know, the nice salesperson who's been there to help them and take them to baseball games or different things, that salesperson doesn't provide any value and is discardable in today's business environment. The hard worker is still working hard but struggling along because the old ways are no longer working, which we've said earlier. Some of the lone wolves are doing well. Some aren't. Um, The problem solver, you know, is taking care of people and handling their problems but not being proactive. The only salesperson model that's actually working is what they call the challenger. And it's what I write about in my whole book. When I read the research, I went, well, that's what SNAP is about. It's about being proactive, about being out there, bringing your customers ideas to help them understand how they can improve their business. It's about challenging their thinking. It's about bringing them research. It's about letting them know what could be done and making yourself, making yourself the difference, the key differentiator, not your product or service. So much so that somebody will say, you know, Working with you, it's a little bit higher, but I can't imagine not having your brain here thinking about my business all the time. And I want to share some research with our audience, too, at this point. The Objective Management Group, uh, which was founded by Dave Kerlin, right. he has been assessing oh, salespeople, I don't know, 20, 25 years now. And Dave went back and just recently completed a study that shows where the difference between the salesperson he was assessing 10, 15 years ago and the salespeople are assessing today. And what's interesting about that study, and by the way, it's available if you just drop us an email at info at biztalkradioshow.com. I'll gladly share this research with you because it's fascinating. And what we found by looking back over that research is that we're basically hiring the same people we did 15, 20 years ago, even though... The business environment and the buyer has dramatically changed. We yes. still have this paradigm of who we think we should hire to represent us out in the marketplace. And that's only a setup for trouble. 
Right. You know, so these companies that are hiring salespeople and bringing them on board, and by the way, they're onboarding them the same way they used to as well. You know, here's our stuff, go get them. Um, <laughs> you, if you bring on the same profile that worked 15 years ago, which might be a nice, hardworking salesperson who was, you know, a problem solver and dearly loved by the clients, you're not going to grow your business the way you want to because those people aren't getting meetings and they're not getting business in today's environment. The reality is you need somebody who throws himself into the work, who is continually growing and learning, who has a high degree of curiosity and wants to help their customer improve proactively very different model and if you're hiring to the same old model it is going to fail eventually let's talk about in your book you give a name for this transitioning to becoming a business improvement specialist right rather than a salesperson what characteristics do they have I think I just mentioned a couple. They're, they're, they're very growth-oriented and curious. They want to learn about their customer's business, and they realize that their products and services are simply their starting point in their relationship with their customers and that their real value comes in, in the application of these to their client's business. So they have a great interest in learning about their customer and acquiring business acumen so that they can speak the language of their customer. They're very focused in terms of where they're, what they're doing, and they take charge of their their own personal development as well. I think a real telling thing today, if you're interviewing existing salespeople for a new job, I think a real telling thing is is to talk to people about what they've done to improve their own skills and what they've read in the last year. Most people are doing virtually nothing to grow. They're not growing today as a salesperson. They're not getting ahead. They're not going to be the profile of the person who's going to be successful working with the customer. I can't tell you how much... Innovation, creativity, problem solving, thinking ahead, you know, looking forward and trying to figure out, okay, here's where my customers is or here's where my prospects are. What problems are they facing? How can I help them? What can I do to in- help them achieve their business objectives? That is such a different mindset. It is really the mindset of a consultant. In your experience, as you've worked with a lot of people, what percentage of the salespeople would you say fall into that category? I would say on what percentage, maybe 5 to 10% max. Those are your A players. And the reality is most companies have to hire B players and C players and teach them how to be A players. Well, why do you say that? Because there's not enough A players to go around. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, you know, if, if 5% of the people out there are doing this naturally, you can either throw up your arms and say, oh, my God, I've got to keep hiring people until I find that A player and I'm going to get rid of these other people that I have on board. Or you can say, what do I need to do, and what can I put in place to help somebody who's a B player perform like an A player? You're really uh, challenging some conventional wisdom that appears to still be out there. And the first conventional wisdom is that most people in the sales leadership role still believe it's a numbers game. And it's not. There's a certain amount of it, yes, but at its core, it's no longer a numbers game. Then what is it? An expertise game. It's about having a sales force that is really knowledgeable and can add value, which, by the way, means that you have to train them and onboard them fundamentally differently. I've been in enough sales positions in my own career and with worked with a number of clients, and I've seen repeatedly the kind of training that people go through. And much of it is, here's our company, and then there'd be training on, here's what we sell, here's how you configure it, here's how you order it, here's our forms, Here's our expense reports. Here's your technology. 
here's your CRM system, go get them. If you take a look at wanting to have salespeople come up to speed fast and perform well, then you have to educate them on the customer. You know, who are they calling on? They have to be well-versed in what's going on in their customers. And this is a big, one of the biggest problems I see out there is the salespeople don't get their customers. And their management team never, ever takes time to say, look, we are calling on HR directors. And HR directors, you know, don't just sit around thinking about our stuff all day. This is everything that they've got on the platter. This is everything you're competing against for them. These are the objectives that they're trying to reach in a year. These are the trends that are impacting their industry. This is what typically find um, they have as initiatives on their plate right now. These are the bottlenecks to the initiatives, you know, the things that could cause them problem and not achieving their objectives. And a salesperson who understands that, number one, is so much further ahead than somebody who's just brought on board to go sell. So what I'm saying is that as a leadership team, you need to do this. And, and for the salespeople who are listening, I would say if you're not getting this from your boss and your company, I would say you have two choices. You can either throw up your hands and abdicate responsibility and say, I'm screwed. You know, they're not doing that here. Or you can say, but I can still do it myself and I can invest my own time because it's important for me to learn this. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting a caveat in there. And the second thing you can do once you understand this is you can create toolkits for people that replicate what works. So once we create some profiles of targeted decision makers we're going after, and we really understand them and what's going on in their world really well, we can create messaging and value propositions and temp proposals, et cetera, that really will be of high interest to these people. But it's not a function of calling up and leaving that same boring message again. Hi, this is Jill. I'm with XYZ Sales Training. We offer a variety of sales training programs. I'd love to talk with you. That's garbage. So let me ask you this. You hear some old-timers, right, old-timers, talk about, I was selling before there were fax machines, and then uh, uh, when fax machines came along, people, the salespeople shifted having good, good fax, faxing skills. You know, I was selling before there was email, and when email came along, salespeople shifted to having good email skills. People seem to be putting down that those aren't important today, that the social media skills aren't important, the email's not important. Pick up the phone and talk to people is is most important, and we seem to have lost that. Do you agree with that, or social media skills more important today? I think social media involves a whole lot of things. If I can spread it out and say, I mean, LinkedIn is social media, where you put up your information about yourself and you can connect and link to other people. And do I think that's important? I think it's crucial because today's customers, one of the things they'll do is check you out on LinkedIn. You know, so if you're on LinkedIn and you have a strong profile and you have a lot of customer recommendations and you, you know, can showcase your expertise on your profile without sounding like a braggart, but simply showing how you've helped other companies, I think you stand out. Now, that's social media at its simplest. Um, I also think that the need to be an expert makes a difference. And if you can write articles and publish things or maybe create a slideshow show to put on your LinkedIn profile, I think that kind of thing, again, demonstrates expertise. Clients want to deal with somebody who's smart, who's an invaluable resource. And if you can show that you know stuff through multiple mediums online, I think that's really important. I think what I would come back to even stronger than that is the importance of the website today. And 
that's where I see such huge room for improvement. I mean, as we've already talked about, it's it's more and more difficult for salespeople to get in, and 60% of the decisions may be made before somebody actually contacts your company. And I really truly believe that a website needs to be fundamentally different today than it was five years ago or even three years ago in order to attract potential customers into your world, serve as a lead generation tool to attract people who are interested and showcase the fact that your company has knowledge that's valuable as well. And it's not about saying here's all our products or services. It's about having um, white papers or articles on, you know, three things to consider in making an, an XYZ decision or um, how switching to XYZ raised so-and-so's company by 52%. It's about case studies. It's about showcasing that you've made a difference and that you know the problems that they're, that they're struggling with. So I would really say if a company is doing anything, they ought to really take a look at their website in terms of what's on it. And if they were a customer who was working with one of their competitors, who was thinking about making a change but not really sure, would they find value on their website? And if they would look at it from their customer's perspective, they would see that they're just a catalog for the most part, and they're boring and they're worthless. Published in 2006, Selling to Big Companies still seems to be the quintessential book on how to do that. But a lot has changed since then. If you were to update that book today, is there a chapter you would add or change? I would change some chapters on technology because at that point LinkedIn was a baby. You know, it was a baby back then, and you know, it's just such an incredible tool today. It needs to be a huge part of it. It's a way to find out information, as are so many of the other things were really new in those days. So that's the kind of thing that I would really change um, in terms of messaging and the strategies. I don't think I'd change too much. I think I was really ahead of the game when I when I wrote the you know how do you craft messaging to get your foot in the door. Okay. Jill, was there one question today that I should have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> I think I did a good job this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jill, how could people learn more about you and what you do and your books and services? Uh, I would suggest that people go to jillconrath.com, and that's Conrath with a K, J-I-L-L-K-O-N-R-A-T-H. Um, one of the things I'll find on my website is I do have a free prospecting toolkit that covers a lot of some of the stuff that we talked about today in terms of what it takes to get your foot in the door. And I honestly think that anybody who's listening in that's struggling with prospecting will get lots of really good ideas from downloading that toolkit. Thank you. Jill, thanks for being on the program. Truly my pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies on how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.